I was buried beneath my shame. Who could carry that kind of weight? My Till I met you. I was Out of into 
Christian Church. Um, hey guys, good to see you again. <laughs> uh, I made it. Um, would you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, we're so glad to be here in your house this morning. Uh, we pray for your blessing on this service. We pray that that we feel your presence today, that we be humbled and that we be rejuvenated. Um, we all have battles and problems and stuff that we're dealing with, Lord, that gets, it gets so hard, and we want to lift all that stuff that weighs us down. We want to lift it up, and we want all those things from us so that we might be focused, that we might feel your love and your, and your presence, and that uh, you might move in us today and affect us, and it's in your holy son's name we pray, amen. Invited by redeeming love 
to despair I hear the voice that scatters fear The Lord is here Oh, pray Bye. 
can now prepare for a communion time. As I was thinking about the communion meditation, the simple question came to mind, what is communion? Communion is only twice the word, and that depends on the translation. It is from the Greek word koinonia, which means to share, to fellowship. And we read that in 1 Corinthians. I speak as to wise men, you judge what I say. Blessing which we bless a sharing, a communion, in the blood of Christ is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ. Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all bread. Piece of bread, a little cracker. Wine or Welch's grape juice or whatever is in these little things that we drink now. Remind us of the death. Remind us of why. It's also called the Lord's table, communion, cup of blessing, the breaking of bread in the book of Acts. In the early Eucharist, or the giving of thanks, as Jesus gave thanks before he broke the bread. In the Latin church, it's the word mass, which comes from the Latin, which means to go and to share, missio. So there's a lot of things about communion. It's a very personal time. We read ourselves, not the person beside us, but ourselves, and make sure that we're partaking in a worthy manner. It's also a corporate or body thing. And we're all doing it together as the body of Christ. We are many in Christ. Why take communion? To commemorate the death of Christ, this do in remembrance of me. And apply to believers all the benefits of the new covenant in Jesus Christ. To be a sign of our Christian profession of faith, to indicate and promote the communion of believers, to represent the mutual communion of believers with each other. The elements of the bread and the cup, the body and the blood of Jesus, shed for a new covenant, shed for the forgiveness of of any and all who would come to Jesus needing a Savior. And God provided that through his Son. And every week we remember because every week we need to be reminded of how God looks at sin. Not how the world looks at sin. For God so loved the world that he gave his only remember that son as he hung on the cross and we are to go and share
because it comforts you. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you had a plan to save us from our own doings, our own sins. And it was a costly plan, son could accomplish. So he came in the flesh, lived among us, so that in the flesh he could die. We thank you for that unspeakable, indescribable, wonderful gift of your son Jesus as we remember and treat him. I pray in Jesus' name. Acts 2.42, we read of the early church, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayers. We have shared together and now share together in the fellowship of the offering, of giving back to God, of the recognition that everything is his. The Bible makes it clear. We're born with nothing, we're going to die with nothing. We're not going to take anything to heaven. And so how are we spending God's money while we're here on earth? Several different ways to give. To give generously. May you be even sacrificially. Just as God and Jesus have given to Thank you, Father, for your blessings, and they are many. We live in a country of freedom to worship, freedom to gather. We live in a country where most of us have such a, a good life, especially compared to so much of the rest of the world. So you have blessed us, and may our gifts back to you also be a blessing to you, Father, as we give them because we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. I'm hoping I turned this thing on, but that doesn't mean I did. I did. So now you got to listen to me. So we're gathered here today, and we're going to answer another question. 
Did you like these questions? Do you have more questions? Well, I've got lots of questions. was asked, and it was about judgment. Or rather, should a Christian judge? That's a pretty big question, isn't it? Well, Bible, where the words of Jesus are in red. And if you've noticed at all, the words from Matthew 5, 3 to Matthew 7, 27 are all red. Because it's where Jesus is preaching his Sermon on the Mount. And all too often, we take little pieces of that sermon and we don't see it as a whole, whole message. And, and the, but the basic message of the Sermon on the Mount is found in Matthew 5.48, where he said, Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father. Hey, like that word perfect. Do you feel any pressure? I mean, really, that's no pressure at all. But by perfect, Jesus is not saying we'll be without sin or we'll be morally flawless. I don't have to tell any of you that, do you? Are any of you... But he is telling us to be complete and whole and spiritually mature. There is a, there's a point where you've got to say, I know I'm not going to be perfect, but I've got to try. He's saying that we need to be working to be all that God wants us to be. To you and to me to do our best to reach that goal. Jesus challenges us to strive for greater service for the Lord than what we're doing now. And as we press on towards this goal of perfection, harshly or carelessly, I mean, just look at verse 1 of Matthew chapter 7. It says, judge not that you may, you be not judged. Now, you don't have to raise your hands, but you can if you want to. It might make you a little uncomfortable or the people beside you, but I want to ask you this question. Have you ever been judged by somebody else? Because the truth is, we've all been judged. We've been judged. Maybe it's because of something that happened in your past. You have those, right? You have past? Mm -hmm. Have you ever been criticized for being a little different? Be doing something different from everybody else? Have you ever been unfairly judged or criticized by somebody you didn't even know? And I think most of us could answer yes to all those questions. Being criticized or harshly judged by somebody isn't fun, is it? There's a story about this little boy, Jimmy, who was showing a picture to his kindergarten class to his grandmother. You know, that's a sweet scene. And he looked, Mom, this is my grandma, this is my kindergarten class. And he goes to describing everybody. He says, this is Bubba. He hits everybody. He goes, this is Johnny. He never listens to the teacher. And then he says, always chasing the girls. And then he pointed to himself sitting there in his own picture. He said, this is me, just sitting here minding my own business. A lot of us are a lot like Jimmy. We're quick to see the faults in everybody else, but we have a blind eye when it comes to our own faults. 
Sometimes we sit on our righteous lookout tower and use our character-judging binoculars. Have you ever said or heard anybody say, I'm a pretty good judge of character? You know, I feel that first impressions are important, don't you? You know, it, it, it matters in certain situations. I like to make a good impression when I meet somebody for the first time. But most of the time, first impressions are only skin deep. First impression we get of someone because of how they look or talk or how they dress. And that's how we make our first impressions. And you have to make a first impression. You, you make an impression of someone. You judge someone immediately whether you want to or not. But that impression is only skin deep. Because you don't know them. It is somebody can be very dangerous. Because if we aren't careful, we can prejudge a person in a negative way before we get to know them. Steve Martin, you remember who Steve Martin was? He said, never judge a man unless you've walked a mile in his shoes. <laughs> you know. You know, Matthew 7, 1 through 5 is probably one of the most popular and one of the most misunderstood and misused passages in the Bible. 20 years ago, John 3, 16 was the most quoted. But in this era that we live in of political correctness and tolerance, which is really not true, they, they want you to be tolerant of everything else, but they don't want to be tolerant of us. But Matthew 7, 1 has become the most quoted verse. Most of the people who quote it don't even know the meaning of it. They don't even know where it is in the Bible. In fact, most of them don't even know it's in the Bible. It's a very popular verse to quote when you're caught in a sin. They say, hey, the Bible says you're not supposed to judge me. If you judge me, you're going to be judged too. And then what do they say? People try to use this verse to justify their sinful deeds. Isn't it? I mean, they want to use that. Hey, don't judge me. In other words, don't look at what I'm doing. You can't tell me I'm a sinner. Don't tell me that I can't do drugs and get drunk. Or The Bible says judge not. You don't have a right to judge me. How many of you have ever heard that? How many of you have said it? How many of you said it today? Don't answer that. Sometimes they use this verse as an excuse not to get more involved in the church. They don't want to do their part. And sometimes they just don't want to deal with an unpleasant situation. So they say, don't judge me. I'm going to sit over here and do nothing. Or, no, I'm not going to talk to my best friend about the affair he's having. He's a member of the church. You know he's doing wrong. And besides, the Bible tells me not to judge him. Why is Matthew 7, 1 so popular? Why is it widely misused and quoted out of context? Do I really need to answer that? Well, okay, I will. It's gotten so far away from Christian principles that it was founded on. We've become a society of moral relativists. Do you know what that is? Moral relativism. 
It's the belief that there's no absolute right or wrong. And that's the way, if this were true, if there was no right or wrong, then we'd have no reason to judge actions, would we? If there was no absolute right or wrong, every sinful act could be justified. This is the flawed reasoning uh, that many lost people use to justify. They will tell you, oh, Christianity may be right for you, but it isn't right for everyone. It's because Christianity challenges them in the way they're living. I believe in Christ, and I'm doing okay. I'm a good person, and I don't steal and, or cheat or kill. Being good won't get you to heaven. James Dobson was explaining moral relativism on his radio program. If any of you, because very few people listen, they stream everything. But on his radio program, he was having a conversation with a man who didn't believe in absolute right and wrong. And he, he said he couldn't get the man to see the things the way he did no matter what. And finally, he became frustrated and used a point, he used this graphic illustration. He said, if I was to stand here before you and deliberately murder a two-year-old child, right in front of your eyes, is that right or wrong? And for us, we're like, oh, no. I mean, aren't we? Well, the answer the man gave him scared him, and it should. I particularly like what you had done. And I wouldn't necessarily agree with what you had done, but I couldn't absolutely say it was wrong for you to do it. Now, people believe that. Scary, isn't it? What's this sort of thinking becoming more and more popular every day? Our nation's moral fiber has sunk to the level that we see. Political correctness and moral relativism, they go hand in hand. There are no absolutes for us to judge our our character by, then everybody can make their own rules. Now listen to me here. This is very important. We have to be able to judge right from wrong and good from evil. We have to. And to do this, we have, we have to have a standard to live by, and that standard is found right here. This is our standard. And we can't go through here and say, nope, I don't believe it should be there. We don't have that option. We don't have that option, but, but people do. They want to skip the parts of the Bible that, that challenge them. We've got to live by the Word of God. It's all we have. The Scriptures tell us absolute wrong, and you'd better believe it because it's the absolute truth. So what was Jesus really teaching in this passage? And we're going to look right here to get a little more understanding on this judge not passage here's what he said judge not that you be not judged for with the judgment you judge you will be judged and with the measure you use it will be measured back to you and why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye but do not consider the plank in your own eye or how can you say to your brother a plank is in your own eye hypocrite first Remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, or cast your pearls before the swine, lest they trample them under their feet in pieces. So, 
before we get into this, we've got to address a few things. And the first thing we've got to address is those planks. Some of you got a whole forest in your eye. We've got to address planks. So here's the real question. Are we truly never supposed to judge anything? Are we? Is this what Jesus was saying? We can't take verse 1 out of context and make, make it fit into our any goes, anything goes to society. We can't take the word of God and conveniently make it suit our worldly purposes. People do. And those are the very people who say, well, you're taking stuff out of context. No, you're taking that one verse and justifying yourself. And justifying yourself. You know, the, we can't make it conveniently fit us. When Jesus used the word judge in verse 1, he meant we're not to go around all the time with a condemning and judgmental spirit. We can't judge the motives of a person. We don't know what's in somebody's heart, but we don't know why. You know who does? God does. And when Jesus said these words, he was talking to the Pharisees. You know who the Pharisees today would be? Us. The religious people. The, the Pharisees were a sector of the Jews who, who held themselves above everybody else and they closely followed the Mosaic law. They considered themselves the only righteous people. And they looked down upon the others thought if, that they came up to God's standard. They thought they had reached that goal and nobody else did a dangerous place to live isn't it the Pharisees were very condemning and judgmental have you ever known one who felt like they had to judge and complain about others all the time you know that person I bet you could name them don't do it but I bet you could name them this was the Pharisees this is who they were the Pharisees didn't like Jesus you know why they didn't like Jesus? Because he associated the Pharisees. They had already condemned him because they decided he was not the Messiah. Because the Messiah wouldn't hang out with those people. The Messiah, the Christ that they were waiting for. The one whose coming had been anticipated and longed for. They had prayed for him and, and, and begged for him to come. Standing. These lights are killing me. <laughs> they're dancing or something. I don't know. It's cool though. But I think they're about to get them fixed, I hope. Or the next minute I'm something else, you know. But anyway, back to the sermon. But here's Jesus, the Savior. He's standing right in front of them. The Savior, they're, they're, they're shot at heaven. And because of their judgmental attitude, they didn't recognize who he was. You know, they prejudged him. You know, it's crazy. They missed the blessing of knowing their Savior. Being in the actual presence of Jesus and soaking in your Savior. And Jesus knew the actually condemning him. He knew they didn't like him. And he told them they would be judged with the measure they used to judge others. And the Pharisees didn't like it. They didn't really know him. 
They prejudged them based on their rigid religious laws. They insisted. Now, these guys are ritual law they, as they interpreted it. And according to the Pharisees, there was only 613 laws you had to observe. And you had to dot every I and cross every T. How many of you can do that? We can't keep two laws. Adam and Eve couldn't stay away from the one. You know, and because of this, they set these laws. They looked down on the sinners. And they were always ready to criticize others for not keeping. Here's another good question. Did Jesus judge anybody? Did he? Oh, yeah. Let's see how he judged the Pharisees. In Matthew 12, 34, he called them a brood of vipers. In Matthew 15, 14, he said it was the blind leading the blind. And he really let them out of it in Matthew 23. When he told them, he said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. For you are like whitewashed tombs, with indeed pure, beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanliness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and I would say that Jesus was judging them, wouldn't you? With the same measure that they used to judge others. Jesus called them whitewashed tombs. They looked all religious and proper and pious on the outside. And they went through the right motions and the rituals and, and the ceremonies. And we do that every week. We go through our rituals, don't we? And there's nothing wrong with it. Ain't no amount of coming to church. No amount of crackers and grape juice, no amount of offering you're going to give gets you into heaven without the blood of Jesus. Rituals don't get you there. Jesus does. Now, I think they're great. You should come to church every week, and you should take communion and remember the blood sacrifice he gets. Yeah, I said that. But, you see... They, they thought that was all there was to it. They observed all the feast days and performed all the sacrifices in the appropriate manner. They wore the, the right words at the prescribed time. And they looked great on the outside, but on the inside they were filthy and dead. And the sad thing was, they felt they were righteous before God. They were going, to, going through the motions with all the wrong motivations. They weren't following the law because of a deep abiding love for God. And their fellow man, they were keeping up appearances for appearance. Pride and self-righteousness was the plank in their eyes. And because of their overwhelming pride, they readily pointed out the faults of others. They had no problem seeing the speck in somebody's eye. Let's talk about that speck. Don't we? They, they quickly condemned and the mistakes of Jews and Gentiles, but they wouldn't acknowledge they had an even larger problems. You know, in Matthew 7, 5, it says, First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Did you notice it didn't say, ignore the speck? You've heard the term, I wish I could buy him for what he's worth and sell him for what he thinks he's worth. You've heard that, right? If we could have... We could apply that to the Pharisees. We could apply it to almost anybody. If we could buy them for what they're worth and sell them for rich. 
Their self-righteousness made them blind to their own faults and the value of others. They couldn't see the value. Aren't we guilty of this from time to time? Isn't it a lot easier for us to see the faults of others than it is our own shortcomings? As we look at ourselves in the mirror, if we would picture Jesus on the cross in the background, we would we'd see just how low. In the same way as we look at our neighbor, somebody maybe you don't like or somebody that's caused you trouble. If we'll picture Jesus on the cross in the background, we should see how precious our neighbor is and how valuable they are as a child of God. Instead, we, I don't like them. I'm guilty. And if you say you're not, then you need to look at yourself and realize your own faults. Because if you can't take care of your plank, you can't help your neighbor with the speck. And their sinful life. And you shouldn't. But we're going to get into that. Even more here in just a minute. And you're looking forward to that, aren't you? The image of Jesus on the cross has a way of bringing the mighty to their knees and raising up the meek and the humble. You know, we've talked about removing planks and, and speck from somebody else's eye. But you've got, to, you've got to address that speck if you really love them. But we've got to discuss how. Matthew 7, 6 says, Don't give what is holy to the dogs or cast your pearls before feet and turn and tear you in pieces. This is the rest of the story to Jesus' warning to, to judge not. In verse 6, it, it sounds as if Jesus is telling us to do what he told us not to do in verse 1. Doesn't it? We can't make judgments. If we don't make judgments, how are we going to? He says, don't throw your stuff to these, these pigs and these dogs. But, and I'm not talking about four-legged creatures. You've got to make a judgment on who somebody is. Yes. How else would you make a judgment on it? How can you make judgments on who they are? Jesus, Jesus is saying... There's a judgment call you have to make of another person. We're not supposed to try and judge their heart, but we'd be foolish and naive if we closed our eyes to, to blatant and open sin. Wouldn't we? We'd be foolish if we just turned our eyes and said, Oh no, it's okay. I mean, in Matthew 7 he says this, Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree can't bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Kind of redundant, isn't it? Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Art, is it? We're not supposed to harshly judge others, but we can be fruit inspectors. We can plainly see if a Christian is bearing fruit, if they're living a Christian life. If we see a need to speak with a member of the church who's openly committed. Matter of fact, you can't really love somebody and not address some sinful behavior. Because that sinful behavior keeps them away from our Lord. Matthew 18 says, 
Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, one of you or two or more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. Now, I'm not going to bring you up here and say, hey, guess what? It says, but if he refuses you like a heathen or a tax collector. How many of you like tax collectors? I hope none of you work for the IRS. <laughs> but you see, that's not judging a person's heart. It's judging their outward actions. If you see somebody committing a blatant sinful act, you should speak and tell me. That wouldn't be gossip. It'd be, hey, we need to go talk to this guy. One time we had a deacon at a church and he was married and hitting on a bank teller that wasn't his wife and somebody from the church came and said hey he's doing this I said I'll be right back I went and said hey stop it is that me judging this guy or is that me telling him to do what is right that's not judging Know, that doesn't mean you should condemn them or be disrespectful or harshly judge them. You should pull them aside and speak about it so that you can. Jesus says to make sure your house is in order before you try to clean somebody else's house. Don't be a hypocrite like the Pharisee. Jesus is telling us in this passage not to have a judgmental or condemning spirit. But if you feel the need to confront somebody else about their faults, be sure to do it in love. Be sure to remove the plank from your own eye before you try to grab that speck out of their eye. To rant and rave that as Christians we should never judge is a cop-out. And really a person wanting to justify their life before others. To sit around and say, don't judge me is a cop-out. To not address your own sin. But let me point something when you or anyone else says, how dare you judge me? You realize that no matter how angry or defenses you're about, you are about it. And the need not to be judged. You need to understand what God's word says. And I'm going to listen. I want you to read some scripture. I'm going to read some scripture to you. I don't want you to read them. I just want you to listen. Romans 14, 11 says, Every knee will bow before me and every tongue will acknowledge God. And everybody, whether you say don't judge me or not, is going to stand before the throne and be judged. Everybody. Everybody. And also, what about the way we talk to each other the, and, the, and the language that we use and the things that we say? Matthew 12, 36 says, But I tell you that everyone will have a given account on the day of judgment for every will be acquitted and for by your words you will be condemned. How are you talking to people? The things you say and the things you do matter. They matter. You're going to have to give an account for those things. Think about that. Are your daddy but to your heavenly father? And then the things that we do, the way we live our lives based on the scriptures in, in 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all be appear before the judgment seat of Christ us. For the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Does that, does that make sense to you? 
And if we let somebody go by and we don't talk to them about their sin, we don't love them. We're just setting them up to stand before God and him say, and you did this and you did this. And then he's going to stand up. You're going to stand there and he's going to say, you let them do this and do this and do this and you didn't warn them. That's pretty scary, isn't it? You see, the whole world wants to think they can live like the devil and still go to heaven. They want to think they can say what they want to say, do what they want to do, however they want to do it, and there's no consequences. We need to think carefully because we are called to be Christians, to be set apart, to be different, and we need to help each other be that. That's what the church is here to do, to set apart, to be different, to have God, one that does the judging, but we help people stand before the judge right. Now, don't go beating people up because they sin. How many of you sinned today? Maybe in the last 10 minutes. If it wasn't for the blood of Jesus, we'd all be destined for hell because none of us are good enough. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't try, does it? That doesn't mean we shouldn't try. So this is the invitation of Jesus Christ. This is an opportunity for you to come forward, confess him as Lord, and be baptized, to be baptized into Christ. And then you can stand before the judge and know, and know that you've done your best. And you'll hear a well done, good and faithful servant. But all too often as Christians, we're real happy to wait. You know what they, you know what I'm talking about? In the kiddie pool where it's warm and safe. I won't tell you why it's warm. <laughs> but we wait around in the kiddie pool because we know that if we jump over into the deep end, there's going to be work involved. It's going to swim to the side. It might be a little cold. It might be difficult, but everybody who's ever learned to swim by jumping into the deep end got out of the water, and the next time you see them, they're back in the deep end. So the question is, are you just going to wait around on the, in the kiddie pool? Or are you going to jump in the deep end and say, Lord, I want to be yours? And if, if you don't know Jesus, come forward. Be baptized into Christ and receive the Holy Spirit. And know, know that when you stand before the judge, but for a lot of us, we're just standing on the edge. We've made that decision, we've got out of the pool, and we're just not really sure that we want to be committed enough to get back in. So this challenge, get back in. Help us all to live in a way that pleases our Father. Whatever decision you got to make, make it today. Moon, morning sun has day.
Father, we thank you so much for this time, and we pray, Lord, that as we go out, that you guide our steps and that you grant us the peace, the wisdom, the strength, and the courage to apply what we've learned here to our lives so that we might live closer to the way you give us fruit, Lord. It's in your holy son's name we pray. Amen. We sing high. 